make a deal with Netflix and you don't have money that comes into you forever. You get paid and then money 20% more or 30% more, but you that's it. It didn't come natural to me. There's so many things that I think about now I wish I had known when I was younger. What I believe resonates with people who are particularly now is content that has some sort of meaning to it. It's more than just pure entertainment. And so suddenly MTV was the only thing it seemed in the whole world and all of Hollywood and everybody else was taking their cues from this startup. I did not know a single writer when I became a writer. I think if you're trying to become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult. Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. Hey everyone and welcome. I am your host, Kaya Alexander. Really excited to be here with my special guest today, my very special guest, Annika Marks. Let me tell you about her. She is a multi-hyphenate storyteller. As a writer, she's developed projects with Sony Pictures Television and Lionsgate. She's also been hired to rewrite and polish scripts for several networks, including NBC Universal. Her first feature, Killing Eleanor, premiered at the prestigious Savannah Film Festival, where it won Best Narrative Feature and was distributed by 1091, formerly The Orchard. Her follow-up, Adult Children, is in pre-production. As an actor, she has a long list of credits in theater, film, and television, but is probably best known as Monty Porter on Freeform's The Fosters. Annika, welcome. So happy to have you here. Oh, I'm happy to be here. I I have to dive in right away with Killing Eleanor because I loved this movie so much. Uh, it was so special and really close to my heart. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about this film? Sure. I mean, the the short <laughs> the short pitch is that it's about a terminally ill old lady who wants to die in her own terms, um, and this thirty five year old addict who agrees to help kill her in exchange for clean urine. Um, it's obviously uh, got a lot of dark comedy in it, uh, but it's really a movie about it's a movie about living. Um, I you know I think it's it's it seems like a movie about death, but it's really a movie about how we live, um, and I think. Uh, how we die says a lot about how we live. And so it's sort of about these two people um, helping each other figure out how to have dignity during their life and um, during their death. And you wrote and starred in this movie. Mm -hmm. I did, yeah. Yeah, it was my first um, feature as a writer. I'd, I'd been acting for like uh, about well, just under 20 years um, when I finally got a feature made as a writer. Um, and I'd always been writing like on the side, like I'd always wanted to write. And I mean, I always did write. I just didn't have, um, well, confidence <laughs> and um, and discipline. I mean, I was, I was lacking a, a few like fundamentals. Uh, and I finally got this feature finished, partly because my husband, um, who's a director, he directed Killing Eleanor. Oh, he did. He did, yeah. And when we met, he read some of my stuff and just was so, he was just so insistent that I was a writer and that I needed to stop like qualifying it and dancing around it and um, and just sort of own it. And so we'd made a short together um, and that was an amazing experience. Uh, and then 
I actually wanted him to repaint a wall in our kitchen for like the like the tenth time, and I just needed him to agree to do it because it involved moving all sorts of furniture. And he said, "If you finish a draft of this feature, we can repaint that wall again." And so <laughs> that's what it took. Um, it's <laughs> was like, like the least empowered story ever about becoming a writer, but that's what it took for me to to actually do it. And then, um, and then we very quickly very very quickly um uh, probably never happened this quickly again uh found the financing for it and wow. so it, it it came together really fast and um and because of lots of incredible people who just came on board and um and it definitely changed my identity as an artist you know like i i sort of left that experience and um felt like, well, now I really identify kind of as a writer actor where up is until then I felt like, oh, no, I'm an actor who writes a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been quite a journey. Where did the inception for the idea come from for you? How did it strike you? When I was 21, I was living in New York and I was really broke. And um, I was subletting an apartment from this older woman who um, she was like one of those snowbirds that went to Florida for the winters. Yeah. And so I was going to get her apartment in Chelsea for like six months for like $700 a month or something, you know, and she had handwritten the lease on a yellow legal pad <laughs> and she was walking me through the apartment. And, um, and right at the end, she said, unless you want to agree to help me die when I'm ready to go, in which case you could have the place for free. Wait, come on. That really happened. That really happened. Yeah. So I obviously like, you know, wait, wait, was she cracking a joke or was she being like totally serious? I still don't know. I think she, <laughs> she said it in a way I laughed. And so then she laughed and then we, I signed the thing and I paid her and, but, but I never stopped thinking about it. I just thought like, even if it was a joke, it was such a wild thought to have, you know, that you might actually say that to a stranger. And so I never stopped thinking about it. I never stopped thinking about her and like, who is the person out there that might need the help of a stranger to do this? And how would I bring two people together? So it really started with Eleanor for me. It started with that. Um, I also had a grandfather who died really slowly of a degenerative disease that like took about 15 years to kill him. And uh, he had been in the front lines of World War II. And he was one of those, you know, that kind of classic, like, greatest generation, strong, silent man type. And he, I, I, I remember thinking as a kid watching him die that like, if he'd known it was, when was the last day that he would have been able to make a choice about how to end his life as opposed to just letting this happen to him. Um, so I think I'd been thinking about those themes and those ideas for a long time. And, um, and so that, that, that's, where, that's where it came from. That's amazing. Oh, I'm so glad I asked you that question because that's just fascinating. The, um, one of the things that I think you did so well with this film is, you know, that is a, I mean, that's really a cause, right? Is, you know, death with dignity and not addressing death in our culture and just basically trying to make everybody live together, live forever as though we're never going to die. And, you know, these issues where it's, it's completely legal in countries like Switzerland and then not even really discussed here, you know, and that the doctors can be punished and, and that kind of thing. But yet you've wrapped it up inside of this incredible character piece that's so entertaining, that's so fun. You love and root for seeing these women on screen. 
Um, and it's it's hysterical. It's a really, really funny film. And I just I mean, I have to just give you my compliments on that, because I feel like that is really hard to do, you know, it, like in any other if it was less uh, is so tightly well written and so well acted and performed by both of you um, that it just you don't even know that there's like any agenda to this. You just are so emotionally carried uh, by what's happening to both of these characters, you know, and I, I felt like it is as messy as life is and as real as life is, you know, I would aspire to write anything that good. Um, so in my compliments to you on such a fantastic film, people can see it somewhere, right? Is it on Hulu? No, it's not Hulu. I, I don't think it, it's, you can get it on, you know, iTunes or Amazon okay. or any, any of those platforms. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's out there to be rented or, um, yeah. And I, um, Thank you. That really means a lot to me. I, you know, I think for me, the, um, I always have an issue with genre, like trying to pin down what, what something is. Like, it's one of those things about becoming a writer that you realize you're going to get asked all the time um, about what genre you're writing and what the comps are for it and all that stuff. And I find that really hard because I guess to me, um, life life isn't a genre like like <laughs> I'm, I'm only interested in watching That's a great pull you know like i just i'm only interested in watching I something i can relate to and like i can't relate to something that's not basically a dramedy you know like it's just basically yeah. in the middle and um we avoid we, you know people don't want to get emotional we do everything we can to avoid it and and yet life is incredibly incredibly emotional and so trying to figure out how to hold all of that and i think as an audience member you can take me absolutely anywhere if you get me to laugh first and if you if i can feel you trying to get me to cry um i'm probably never going to i'm probably just going to put wall I, I will probably just put walls up so that I won't get overly like attached and invested um, because none of us want to go through it. You know, I don't want to go, I don't want to go through it. But if you make me laugh first, I will follow you anywhere. Like I'll, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll think about anything. I'll challenge, you know, you can, you can challenge me very easily as an audience member that way. So I think it's always my goal as a writer is to like, is to make sure people are in before I'm asking them to work too hard. Oh, yeah, that's a really beautiful distinction uh, too. You know, like how are you going to lure someone to come on that journey? with you. Um, yeah, that's really clever. <laughs> Thanks for manipulating. <laughs> 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 These are the types of, you know, I have that kind of awareness when I'm watching stuff. And one of the places it shows up is if I'm not into something, I'll just go, why am I not into this? Where did they lose me? What happened? Because I feel like that study is as important as watching something amazing that you're so compelled by that you'll watch and then study and rewatch, you know, but if somebody loses me, I'm like, what happened? You know, was it with the filmmaking? Was it with the directing? Was it with the acting? Was it with the script? And just trying to go into that, you know, especially with my listeners, we've got a lot of above the line creatives, especially a lot of writers. And, um, you know, that's your that's going to be your career success is really the, you know, in the age of streaming, the audience metrics. You don't want to have people drop off. You don't want them to just go watch the first 15 minutes and then be like, oh, but I could go watch, you know, Jimmy Kimmel or something else, you know, you've got to really kind of pull them in and hold them. And it's a, I think it's a bigger task than ever before right now. I, I do too. And I think part of the challenge um, in, with filmmaking, although not, sorry, this is true with pilots as well. The way, the place I hear this most actually is in TV development. Um, but there is no patience for setup anymore. Mm -hmm. So that old model, like the old idea that an audience would, 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 
give a movie 15, 20 minutes of investment before they expected anything to happen, you know, that they just wanted to get to know who are these people, where are these people, what, you know, what, what, what is their day to day, what is the life before, so that when something changes, I know what, what we were doing before it changed, that is gone. No more slow burn. That's it. <laughs> And so figuring out, like, how do you get somebody invested if you don't have the act, you know, the first act to get them invested with? Like, how, how do you do it? If you have to start with the bank robbery, you mm -hmm. know, how does the audience know who to care about and who to root for? And like, I think that's become the real challenge of writing, at least at least for someone like me that always wants to write character pieces, is if you if, if that is being taken away from you, um, then how do you hook an audience um, and figure out how to layer in all the conversations you want to have um, while something is just, you know, ticked up and burning faster? Um, it is, it's very challenging. Sure is. Can we talk about the feminist angle of killing Eleanor? Because um, for me anyways, so nourishing to see women on screen. You know, this passes the Bechdel test in flying colors. Um, and you have this older woman and this younger woman who are in this really quirky re like relationship that has its own dysfunction but its own need that also felt really authentic to me sometimes we're just in these relationships where we need each other but there's this dysfunction at the core of it and of course your character is an addict so we have this you know sort of built-in dysfunction but i'd love for you to talk about really the roles for women. The fact that we have one of your main characters is an older woman who we would just never see this age on screen anymore. How did you think about this as you were writing it and then ultimately as you got into production with it and even through distribution? Yeah, I mean, this is this is something I'm so passionate about. Obviously, you spend any time at all as an actor and you become very, very aware. Um, and it's- uh, You won't be acting after the age of 40? I mean- <laughs> I mean, it really, it, it, it really is, it really is wild as much progress as we think we're making. It's um, what we think is normal is was so not normal that we're all still trying to like decondition our brains. And yeah, we don't see, we don't see women that look like us and behave like us on screen or we didn't growing up. Right. So these are all new ideas yes. um, for the most part. And, um, you know, Jenny O'Hara, who plays Eleanor is somebody that I've known for a very, very long time. Um, I had approached her backstage doing a play when I was probably 24 years old and said, hey, there's this story I want to tell about this old woman that wants to do this, you know, and, and, uh, and I think you should do it with me. And she was like, uh, yeah, sure, write it. Yeah, then we, and it took me like, you know, 10 years to actually write it. Oh and, my gosh. Um, and I and I walked to her up to her house in Laurel Canyon and 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 knocked on her door and handed her the script and said, "All right, oh, you promised me you would do this. Will you at least read it?" And um, it was I I I I wrote it for her. I never considered another actor. There was a time when um, we thought maybe one of us would have to be a bigger name to get the um, to get the money. And I said, "Well, absolutely. Then it's going to have to be me that gets replaced because I don't know another actress that can do this role that can do Eleanor." Um, and you know, it's a lot to ask of a, of somebody you know who is nearly eighty to to ask them to work the kind of we made that movie in seventeen days. I mean, oh that gosh. stamina is outrageous. It's um, like practically every scene too. Yeah, 
and hard, hard work and work that took, you know, stripping herself of her vanity and like just letting it all hang out. I mean, we had her walking around Chicago in an open, you know, hospital gown and like, <laughs> she's just, she's just, um, she's a beast of an actor and, and I, I don't know anyone else like her. So, so in that case, I think I would have been very scared about could I find the right person for this that could be all the things that we needed her to be? Um, except that I knew Jenny and so I wrote it for her and I never considered anybody else. But yes, all the other roles in the movie are basically female because um, because I I don't know, I think I think it'll be a long time before we've written so many female roles that we've like righted the scale. And so I'm I'm not afraid at all of like overpopulating my films with women and um and I just think there's a lot of like disparate female voices that we don't hear because women forever were in these boxes of, you know, we all know, right? The, the, the naggy wife or the, you know, girl on the side or the girl next door or whatever. We, we just- I'm Patel. Yeah. That's it. And so it's going to be a long time. Virgin mother whore. Virgin mother whore. Virgin mother whore all day, every day in Hollywood for a hundred years. I know it. That's it. So I want my heroes and my villains to be women and I want them to be complicated. And um, and at least so far in almost everything I've written, men are in support of that. And hopefully I'm writing nuanced, interesting men that excellent actors want to play, but um, I don't have a lot of shame around it. I feel like I feel like it's just fine. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That's your playground. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful thing. Well, how are you um, following up Killing Eleanor? Uh, wait, wait, tell us a little bit about your next project or where you're going or what's inspiring you right now. Well, you you mentioned it in the in when you um, introduced me a little bit, but I had this project. So I wrote a movie called Adult Children that's a feature um, <clears throat> that is uh, based on my family. It's a very personal story. And I was going to make it as or we were going to make it. My husband, Rich, was going to direct it and um, we were going to make it as the follow up to Killing Eleanor. And then COVID happened and everything kind of got shut down. And uh, and then it, it got into the hands of, um, of Lionsgate and they wanted to develop it as a TV show. So I spent the last couple of years, that was one of the, the main things I was focusing on was that was in development for a long time. And um, I wrote the pilot and um, I'm very proud of it. I was very excited about it. We ultimately didn't set it up. So, you know, it's, not, nothing is ever dead. It could come back. Who knows? But in the meantime, um, we are we have gone back to the feature script, which is a which is a very different script. I mean, it was an amazing exercise for me to take the same characters, the same dynamic, the same themes, and write a different story so that it worked as a you know an, a pilot that was meant to like be a launching pad as opposed to like you know a beginning, middle, and an end. Um, and so yes, yeah, so we're so we're we're. Uh, we're getting ready. We're gearing up to make it. I think we're going to be in production in the spring in Chicago. Um, so that's really exciting. And, and, um, and it'll be really wonderful to get back on set again, because um, I've spent time, you know, developing that I was developing a, a TV show with, um, with Sony and um, I've been working a lot in, in television, but it's, it'll be really wonderful to get back onto my own film set again. That's so exciting. Um, did you bring in any of the other elements from your other film? Like, are you working with your husband again? Are you working with the same distributor? Anything like that? So Rich is directing it. Yep. So okay. we're doing it together. Um, 
Tommy Sadowski, who came in and did us a favor, it did played a very small role in Killing Eleanor. It's one of the leads in this and is also producing. Um, I don't, I don't think I can announce anything else yet, but there are <laughs> elements that will be traveling with us. Uh, we are working with one of our same producers. We are working with our same financiers. So oh, it is a lot of the same elements. Oh, I love that. That's really cool. In the entertainment business school, I'm always teaching my students to find your wolf pack because working with the same people when you develop that shorthand um, and then you set up a project and it goes and then you can do the next one. And it sounds like you're you're really following that principle. You know, it it's everything. And I feel like when I started in this business, it took me a very long time to make a living in this business, like a very long time. I, I started as an actor. I mean, I, I went to New York to be an actor at 17. So I've been doing this my whole life. And was that theater? You went to New York to do theater as an actor? Yeah, I think your roots are in theater. Yeah, I, I, and I, I don't, I haven't been acting very much these days, but I did theater all the way up. And I think my, the last play I did was probably in uh, 2019 or something. So I continued to do theater all this time. And, but there were a lot of years, a lot of years in my early 20s where I was doing, you know, making my living doing background work and stand in work. And, um, you know, I, I, touched however far i've gotten i've touched every rung on the ladder to get there and i've gone backwards a lot of times so you know i know this business is not linear it is not a sprint and you absolutely have started building your reputation long before you realize you're building it like i now i am now working with people that i started a relationship with so long ago back when i didn't think anything i was doing on a set or any presence i had was even being registered but mm -hmm. it is people are paying attention and you know it's true if you're good to work with if you show up on time if you're you know humble like it matters and people remember and like you can i think when you start the business feels so epic and it feels so impossibly big and swarm and it's not it's it's actually very small and everybody knows everybody and so yeah you you i think it's an important thing to know that you're always building your reputation it's not like it starts when you make your first you know chunk of change like it's it's preceded you this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg in Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. That's a really great piece of advice to, to pay attention and be aware, be humble, you know, in your jobs and your presence, because people, people are seeing you, they're noticing, they're taking note of uh, who you are. And also the long game note. I mean, uh, even one of my producing partners, Scott, who I've had on the show, uh, I've known him probably 15 years and now we're work now we're working together in a much more like congealed capacity. And it was pretty organic. Um, and you know, not even just coming out of like a state of like, oh, well, who's gonna, who's gonna, who am I gonna work with? Who we're gonna set up, da da da. But really, like, who do you like? Who do you want to hang out with? Who inspires you artistically? You know, what what projects are are passionately burning inside of you? And and who are those partners who are gonna bring those to life? Um, I love to hear as a writer how you approach your scripts with your acting background and experience and how that informs the characters that you create as well as the dialogue. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're someone like me that gets into writing through acting, that's the part that's going to come easiest, right? Because I think actors are sort of trained lie detectors. That's what happens in our brains. You become this like like you have this meter that goes off when something is false, oh, um, really? and it's it's an amazing skill, you know. I mean, that's 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 to me that's what good acting is, right? Wait, say more about that because I don't even I don't know what that means. I joke my business card should say everything but acting. Oh, uh, um, well, I mean, you can't, you can't do it if you don't believe it, you know, acting only works if it's the truth. I mean, it's, it, it's just, that's just what acting is. And it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't matter again, talking about, you know, I don't really like to put categorize things as genres because I don't care how broad it is. You know, I don't care if it's on stage or on film or if it's, you know, whispered or if you're in a farce, it doesn't matter. It, the person that's, that's doing the job well is telling the truth you know, and, and we are capable of being outrageous and we're capable of being very subtle, but, um, the, an actor that, 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 that is good at their job knows how to tell the truth. And so what comes with that is this kind of, at least the way I experience it is that you kind you almost, your body like rejects things that are false. You know, you just, because a lot, because a lot of acting is just intuitive, right? You're just, you're, you're, you're listening and you're reacting and it's, it's in your body. It's not as cerebral as writing or producing at all as producing, but even as writing, right? It's, it's, it's much more in your body. Um, and so, so because of that, when you, when you turn, when you take that skill and you turn it towards writing, it's a huge gift when it comes to care, you know, dialogue, right? Because you, you, you're like unable to put something in your script to get you from point A to point B if it doesn't make sense, if it's not something the character would actually say. Yes. You're not gonna lay out a monologue of exposition because it's convenient for you as a writer. If it's not like, you're gonna figure out how to get that information out in a way that feels real. And so that's a huge skill. The thing that makes, the thing that is challenging for a writer like me is that I didn't, everything I've learned about writing, I learned by osmosis. I didn't go to film school. I didn't, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I sit in all of these meetings now. I have all these conversations now on the producing side, but, you know, I understand how to write because I've just read a million scripts as an actor, but that's very different than learning the beats of a script. You know, I wrote my first feature before I knew what, the act structures were. I, what, now, once I started trying to build language around it, of course I knew what it was all referring to, but I know it instinctively, you know? And so I still- it, like from, from the rhythm of a story probably too. Exactly, exactly, right. You can just feel, no, th this, is, this is what we have to get out of the scene. You don't need these three scenes. You can jump right to this. And like, no, we, we've, we've come out of this moment. We need to leap into this this kind of music needs to take us to the next moment. And yeah, you get used to feeling that stuff. And that is honestly, I think the thing you can't teach, you know, it is the thing that somebody needs to have. Mm. Um, but the stuff that you can teach is the stuff that I, 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 I didn't know. And so it has been this kind of like humbling process of, oh, I think I know a lot, but I actually know very little about some of these things that can, that could really sink me in the long run because this is the language that executives speak. You know, this is the language of a working writer. And so I, I have needed to like give myself a bit of a crash course in structure. And, um, you know, I wanna, I, I, 
I could sit and write dialogue all day long and I need to stop myself from doing it until I'm really sure I know what this scene is about and I know why I need it because I will spend three days on it, making it more and more and more clever and more <laughs> fun. And then realize this is an exercise in futility. It's, it doesn't, it isn't helping tell the story. So that's, that's the, that's the tricky balance for me is that like, I'll have, I'll get a spark of an idea. I'll see a conversation. That'll be where, where, where something starts for me. And I'll just want to jump in and start writing. And I can, but it is a circuitous route back to, you know, eventually a month and a half later, I'm sitting there like doing a freaking outline because it's where I <laughs> started and I didn't. And now I'm going to throw those hundred pages away and start over because I actually know what I'm doing. But does that get you to know the characters better when you're getting into their voices, you're climbing into their skin. So I imagine by the time you're getting to the outline stage, like you, you've lived with these people, you know who they are. Totally. And like, it's, it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not an efficient way to write. It is the way I write. It makes the people in my life crazy, but it is, it is, it is how I write. Like I will start with, um, sometimes I start with character bios. I find that to be a really, a, a, a good way to like marry these two sides of my brain. If I, if I, I'll write like, you know, a six page character bio and I'll get all sorts of things out that I'm just kind of itching to like get into and get underneath the surface about um but within it i probably will also start to discover why this person's story matters to me and what i'm trying to actually do with their arc and all that stuff um th that's a healthier place for me to start than to just jump into dialogue but sometimes i can't help myself and i just do that's so funny i love that do, does that mean that when you're working on dialogue are you how much are you vocalizing how much are you going out loud would you feel it all the time oh, and okay. it's it's infuriating to my husband who often has to share an office with me. <laughs> I can't help it. I don't know how to do it any other way. No, I just talk to myself all day long. My poor toddler is like, it's just, just how people think. All the people in mommy's head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That must, you, that must make you such a great puppeteer though, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I have you got, I don't know, how old is your toddler? Because at that age, it was the only way I could get my kid to do anything or get in the car or eat any vegetables or anything was we had a whole host of puppets all around. And I don't act, but let me tell you, Sheepy, Sheepy was the was the best because Sheepy, you know, had Addie's sense of humor. They could, I could get him in the car, get him to eat veggies, you know, and then gradually expanded the the number of puppets that we have around. Yeah, it was pretty funny, but like those years were great. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fun. He talks to himself all the time, and I'm telling myself that's just it's because he's a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't know. It might be it might be a bad road. I'm not sure. I love that so much. So, you know, experience wise, you've got your babies, right? You've got um, the new um, feature that you're going to be in production with next year. And it also sounds like from your bio, you're doing polishes, you're doing some rewrites. Um, how did those projects come to you? How do you decide what you are called to do? You know, where are those opportunities coming from? And how are you deciding uh, which ones are the right fit for you? So a lot of the, a lot of the, like the rewrite and polish work that I've done, I've actually done for Rich because he gets hired to do, um, he's done a whole bunch of like, you know, TV movies and stuff in the last couple of years and a bunch of them have needed help. And so he has convinced executives to let me come in and 
take 48 hours with a script and um, and rework hours. it. They are very hectic jobs. At That's least a lot of coffee. Done them a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Only time I've actually pulled an all nighter, um, even with the baby. And uh, and so th those are those are hectic. I really like those jobs a lot. I my brain works really well under stress. So I I, I think that's fun because it gets you out of the I'm going to obsess about this beat for you know days and gets you into just like problem solving mode. And sometimes I find that my brain fires really well that way. Um, plus you're just improving it. You know everything you do is making it better, and it's you get this kind of immediate gratification out of it, which I really like and a paycheck and insurance and all that stuff. Um, I also have a manager. And so we work together on, on, um, you know, securing opportunities, but his, his job with me, at least to this point has been mostly about, um, getting me read around town and getting me meetings with production companies and, you know, studios and producers who want to develop. So his, his focus is mostly on the development side. Um, yeah, that's kind of the balance that I'm working right now is like um, <clears throat> the development game is a grind. It is exhausting. Mm. I love it, but it is exhausting. And I do think it has to be balanced with work, you know, that you're actually doing and getting paid for um, in a more like substantial way because the development thing can burn you out for sure. And I'm, I'm, I threw myself into it so hard for a couple of years that now I'm trying to be much more selective about, um, you know, how many things are on my plate at any given time. And uh, yeah. It's my hope that next year, the negotiations mean that there's going to be uh, not so much free work that writers have to do in the industry. It's quite unfair. It's, it's really tough. It's really tough. I think, especially when you're starting out, it's, it's, um where i am in my career you just you just get asked to do a lot and you get asked to do a lot and you feel so fortunate that they're asking you mm. um but of course that's the thing that gets taken advantage of and that's always been true and on the acting side as well right like i can't even tell you how many readings i've thousands you know like we work for free all the time and we and where it gets confusing of course is that we work for free for on our own stuff all the time like we love it. We want to do it. Um, it's a very complicated thing to try to parse out, like, what is my value and what part of my work is a commodity and what do I deserve to get paid um, for my time? And it, I, I am, I am not great at this part. Like it is, it is not what I do well. I am, I am one of those people that just wants to say yes to everything and wants to work with everyone. And I can, I get inspired really easily. You know, I, everything I read, I want to adapt. Like it's a problem. You know, <laughs> I talk to these writers who are like, I have one idea every five years and I'm like, I am the opposite. You know, I, I constantly have ideas sparking. Um, and so it's hard for me to, to say no to things and to let things go and to, to trust that like, you will you will gravitate towards the things that you really need to do. 
So interesting. I feel I, I echo that in my own life, you know, with a lot of projects where my goal this year was to get to completion on some rewrites and polishes so that I actually have those projects with a bow on them in some capacity, because <laughs> I feel like I have so many open tabs in my brain all the time. I, I have this fantasy now of like, what would it be like to close some of those tabs? Because <laughs> I have new tabs I'd like to open without leaving all the others open. <laughs> I know, I know, I know I feel the exact same way. I feel the exact same way. Like, I just want my desktop to have folders in it that I that I don't look at and have anxiety from, you know? Like just, <laughs> right. Like, anxiety. You know? Oh, that's so funny. Um, do you have any tips for writers who are listening? You're further down the road than some of my listeners who are like, oh, I dream of getting my future set up and I'd love to have a manager. Let's talk some tips for them if you have any. I mean, so I got, I got into writing through such a back door, right? Cause I came in through acting and I obviously had a lot of connections. You know, I just want to like, want to just be super upfront about, cause everyone's situation is different. There's no roadmap, but just to, I don't want to make it to any of this sound easier than it is because when I started writing, I had a resume as an actor. I had, no, I had no credits as a writer, but I did have a resume as an actor. I did have a lot of connections as an actor. Yes. So some of the advice that I would give I only know through acting, which is like the very, very beginning stuff. <clears throat> to me, with the writing thing, the biggest thing I would say is, and I this is this is sadly, I think, really like very basic, basic um, advice, but you just have to write. If you're starting, there is nothing you're gonna say about yourself. There is nothing you're gonna write in a on a letter to somebody that it that it the only thing that's gonna get anybody's attention is, is your work. I mean, the, the, no, nobody would have taken me seriously as a writer if I hadn't had scripts to send them. And the help that I got was because I knew people, you know, it was, I, 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 the first thing that happened for me beyond killing Eleanor, the first thing that happened for me on the TV side, which I think is much harder because the feature side, if you can go, if you can find money, you can go make your movie that, the, the the TV side is a is a closed network. I think it is a harder thing to break into. Mm. And the way that I got into the TV side, the very first thing that happened was an executive that read something of mine. Um, who actually no, I take that back. She saw Killing Eleanor, so I'd made a movie. Oh, I made yeah. something, but this could have happened with a short, right? I made something she was impressed by, and she was on a phone call with a whole bunch of executives, and somebody said, "I'm looking for." young female i'm not young but like young female voices but like i'm looking for young female voices whatever and she said mm -hmm. i know somebody i just saw this thing i was really impressed you guys should talk so i got a call saying do you guys want to meet i had a general so this is okay so this is this is the advice part i had a general that would have gone absolutely nowhere if i hadn't followed it up with a script so i followed it up with a script which they really liked they didn't want to make it. They, they, you know, nobody ever wants to make anything by the way, but they came back <laughs> and they said, this is great. We don't want it. <laughs> that's where it would have ended. Right. They were like, this is great. It was a, it was a, a pilot of mine that I still really want to make someday about these teenage girls that plan the disappearance of one of them and like a ploy for popularity. It's like a very dark comedy. And they were like, this is great. We really love it. Nobody's making shows about 15 year olds. There's nothing we could do with this. Um, but we'll keep you in mind. And like, that would have been the end. But I turned around like two months later and said, Hey, I wrote another pilot in the vein of with the same exact tone, 
centering on, a, on adult characters, do you want to read it? And mm. they said, yes. And I sent that and they ended up optioning it. And that became my first TV deal. Wow, that's a that powerful follow up. So I do, I do think that like, that's the advice part, right? Is like, you have to be doing the work. Like there is nothing, there is no meeting. That meeting had gone great, but I never, ever would have heard from them again. I guarantee it. If I hadn't followed up, not to say like happy holidays, but like followed up with, with material. And you actually knew their taste. So you knew what they were looking for. And you had that in mind uh, to be able to, to turn back around and reach out to them with, with a script. And I think that's, I think that's the key is like, you know, it's when you're, when you're starting, it gets harder because the more people you meet, you can't do that with everybody. You know, right. you're not writing for everybody, but when you get started and you see an opportunity, somebody's interested in you, somebody's paying attention for a minute, don't let that minute go by without making the most of it, you know, because I think that's how doors open, but it's like, how do you push them all the way open? How do you keep them open? Mm. Oh, that's brilliant. Can we talk mistakes to avoid? Because I know from a lot of experience uh, that there are mistakes that happen along the way and we learn from them. And I'm curious what you would advise uh, with mistakes to avoid for writers, actors, even getting into production um, on some of these indie movies that like you've been doing. Yeah. Okay. So mistakes, let's see on the writing side. Well, trying to think about like practical advice because there's obviously lots of mistakes that I feel like I made in like the actual like making of things right but in the like trying to get your stuff set up like that world um I think I think it's a mistake to um all right wait let me think about what I actually want to say And you don't have to worry because I have an editor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to say something that I don't really mean. I, I want to think about what I, what I really think is a mistake. I mean, okay. So are you interested in mistakes about like, like the, in the hustle, in the trying to like get your stuff set up or in the actual work itself? You know, any of it, if it's like, you know, don't pick this location. Oh, cows are impossible on that road. I <laughs> anything. <laughs> Basically, biggest mistake I made on my first feature was I wrote, and I, I don't regret it because I love my first feature, but it was like 30 locations and 31 characters or something. That is insanity. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, if you're, if you're make, writing something that your intention is to go make yourself, <laughs> you're not going out to try to like sell um, this, you know, to sell the script, then um, yeah, do yourself a favor and try to write it try to figure out how to write it small without it looking like you're trying to write small. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's the trick, right? Nobody wants to watch one more movie that takes place in a basement because you've tried to write it small. Um, but try to figure out how to, how to focus your film in a way that's either, you know, focused on a certain char characters or focused in a certain location where you can justify saying, this is, I need this to tell the story. Um, the movie we're doing now is much smaller. It's much smaller um, and it's going to be a lot easier. Mm, good point. I say that now. Um, I do think when it comes to writing, uh, you don't need a million samples of the same thing. So if you're, if you're starting out as a writer, there's no reason to write, I don't think, um, three rom-coms, 
you know, unless you think your entire business is going to be rom-coms and you're just looking to sell them. I think if you're looking to set yourself up as a writer to be taken seriously, um, you're better off having a variety of work. And even if your voice is fairly, fairly similar, you're better off, um, what, it, what does your voice look like in a half hour format? What does your voice look like in an hour? What does your voice look like with some type of genre, whether it's, you know, sci-fi or um, horror? Um, you know, I, I, I think that um, if you're interested in getting into TV and film, I don't think, I only know one showrunner that is willing to read a play, you know, mm. consider. I think most people are looking to read the thing that they're looking to hire for. So better to have at least a drama and a comedy if you, if you can. Um, That's interesting because it goes against what we also hear for advice, which is like, you have to pick a lane. I'm always encouraging. I'm always encouraging my students, especially to, you know, focus on their brand and their brand could be cross genre, but really at the, at the core of that also is, is voice. What kind of story do you want to tell? How do you want to tell it? And then uh, do it in such an audacious way, hopefully on the page that you see that voice ripple across all of your samples, whether it's comedy or drama or anything else. That's what it is. That's what it is. I think, I think voice is everything, right? Nobody, yeah. nobody, nobody remembers your script unless there's something about your voice that stands out. And so I think I, that's it. I mean, yeah, I guess maybe it goes back to my feeling about genre not being real, but I, I think you, I think you just, you just need to be able to hand somebody the thing they think they're looking for. So, you know, I do think it's very worthwhile to have a half hour in an hour. Um, when I was starting out, people wanted one or the other very oh, specifically. And um, TV, speaking TV. What's that? For TV. Yeah. 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 I do think that helps. Um, I did try when I was starting to like, I guess I have four features and they're all, they're all pretty different tonally. It's again, still my voice in, in each of them. Um, three of them are, have been set up or made and um, all for very different reasons. You know, and I, I think that's, I do think you have to be careful not to start recycling the same ideas and the same tone or, or people, or unless someone is looking exactly for you and exactly for this thing, it's, it's a lot of what you do as a writer early on is trying to fit into other people's worlds, right? Like, you know, if you're going to staff in somebody's room or re or polish somebody else's work, you do need to be able to lend your voice to their tone, right? And not like, not be changing it or pulling it towards you like how do you blend into somebody else's vision that's the irony right because you're going to get hired for your voice but then you better be a chameleon at the same time <laughs> people will say they want a brand or they'll say that you, you should be able to do anything and they just they, they nobody nobody knows you got to protect yourself so what i guess here's the thing whatever you think you are Right. If there's somebody listening to this that says, I know exactly who I am, you know, I am or or Ryan, right? I'm a sci-fi sci noir. This is my thing. And I write about it from a journalistic perspective. Awesome. I don't know anybody else like that. If that's your thing, and like do I don't have that thing. That I don't have something like that. I just write about people. So I can write about people anywhere on a spaceship or, you know, I can write about them anywhere. But I think it's helpful if you're like me and you don't have such a strong 
perspective on where you fit, then it is helpful to be able to show people that you could fit into their worlds. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, I have a funny story for you about mistakes to avoid. That's maybe a little bit more from the production side, the directing side. So I was a development exec with Inferno. Um, they since have become Lotus Entertainment. But this is going back now to, you know, I want to say 2005, I think it was 2004, 2005, when I was working with them, we had a co-production deal with New Line. And we got this script in what well, it's one of the best scripts I've ever read. It was so fun is a movie called The Good Night. And The Good Night, which you probably have never heard of, have you? No. Yeah, no most people have never heard of this movie. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. It was starring um, Gwyneth Paltrow, Penelope Cruz, Simon Pegg, Martin Freeman, and Danny DeVito. Okay. And these were all the attachments that were on this movie when it came across our desk. Fantastic script. It's about a guy who is so miserable in his daily life. And he starts to have these dreams where he meets his dream girl in his dreams that all he wants to do is stay asleep and just as much sleep as he can possibly get until the dream girl comes into his real life super fun storyline, um, really playful concept. And we filmed it at Ealing Studios in, in England. And I was on set for this. And it was my first time being on set for anything. Um, I was pretty new to the job at the time. And, you know, we intelligently had watched a lot of films, but had never been inside the making of one. And so watched a couple of the scenes being shot and I was, this looks fantastic. This is so exciting. I, you know, loved meeting Penelope Cruz in her bathrobe. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's just this one scene where they're were, they were shooting a restaurant um, conversation, a dinner conversation at a restaurant and the cameras were positioned outside the window. And I just, you know, sort of innocently was like, when are they going to move the cameras inside the restaurant? Um, and it was like, well, never. This scene was going to be shot through the window. And it was like one of those scenes that takes an entire day to film because they need dirty overs from every possible character and everyone has to, you know, play with this dinner scene and stuff like this. But I go back to the office and I'm and he, you know, my boss who owns the production company, oh, how was it? Was it great? Da, 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 let me, you know, tell me all about it. Um, and uh we had delayed production because Simon Pegg hadn't passed his uh uh drug test. <laughs> Okay, we hold on. All right, we hold on. Pa pause the drug test. Good night. <laughs> We're doing a podcast. I'm saying good night. Good night. Okay. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's nap time. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. Did you just say he had to pass his drug test? Yeah. <laughs> so we're waiting for him to pass the drug test. Meanwhile, the movie's getting delayed, delayed, and you know, money is just <laughs> going out the door. Um, and we, you know, everything's happening. Anyways, finally, we uh, get all the dailies back, and we get you know, essentially the rough cut of the film. And there's just no coverage of a lot of these scenes that we really needed, first-time director. And because of the absence of coverage. And a lot of the playful first time director stuff of like, I'm going to film this scene from really far away. There were no tight shots. 
Oh my God. And a lot of these scenes without any tight shots, you're going, why are we watching this scene from so far away for so long? Um, so the movie couldn't get picked up for distribution. We had, we sent it to like six different editors, you know, this one, try this one, try this one, try this one. And um, the movie was shelved for uh, maybe 10 years. And I think it finally went out VOD, you know, on like Amazon or iTunes or something like that. So you can go see it, but it's a really interesting you know what a, what a what a challenge right where you have like this incredible you know star loaded cast and an amazing script and this fantastic location and one of the producers had just come off of winning an oscar and you know it was like just this one thing we were missing the coverage uh and then it ends up just being like a very difficult movie to edit and to cut together um, and I think it's on Prime, so you can watch it and you know see for yourself, like, oh, what happened, you know, with with something like that. Um, which is, you know, by by all means, if you watch it for the writing, it is a fantastic movie. But if you watch it for the actual, you know, shots that were grabbed, you know, then it's like, oh, what happened with this movie? We where did where did they lose us? And in in this case, it was just well, we feel really far away. We feel really far away from these characters as a lot of this stuff is happening. Another, it's another really great thing about like a great thing to think about as a writer is like you know <clears throat> i mean maybe i'll direct someday i don't know but i you know i writing you when you finish your script it is the last time it will ever be your script you know yes. it's, it's over like you you have you have created the skeleton and now and now it gets colored in and it changes and of course it changes again right the director changes it the editor changes it and like it just keeps changing and hopefully it gets better <laughs> no. you you do really have to honor the feeling of having finished a script because it is um it, if you wait for the end for that to, to give yourself that um that like kind of celebration uh you might not recognize it you know it it is it is a very strange thing about film not true in tv right in tv you are so involved the entire time but in film it's very very strange it is um hand over your baby and be like you get to raise it now <laughs> yeah, unless you're a producer and you get to stay very involved but sure yeah it's a very it's a very strange thing so you do kind of have to honor it it's like this written thing that exists. I mean, I love reading scripts. I think reading scripts is really fun. I, I like, I like it as a medium, as like a to read. I, I, I think it's a wonderful way to read stories, and it's very different than watching movies. <laughs> like very, very different. I do. I love reading them too. Um, as long as I can get past the first ten pages and I fall in love with it, then I really enjoy reading it. <laughs> Those first ten pages are everything. No, ten. I, I don't even give it ten. We go ten. That I go to read. I read friends though, but I will tell them honestly if I DNF, um, which is a term I borrow from the literary world, which means did not finish. And I'm like, hey, I have to tell you, you know, this is this is a DNF for me. And here is where I DNF'd, it's on page 12. And so then that if that's helpful information, you know, I hope that it is, but it's hard, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and Lord knows we have a million scripts to read. Hey, talk to me about casting. That's gonna be one of my last questions for you today, because, you know, here you are, you're in the indie space, you're a writer, you're a producer. And I imagine, you know, as you've talked about like Killing Eleanor, for instance, you're really involved in the casting. How do you make some of those decisions? Where are you looking to see the vision of your character really come to life? And how are you making those choices? Well, this is another great, like you're saying, you t tell your students to like find their wolf pack. Like this is a place where it comes in really, really handy 
I mean, Killing Eleanor was not a big movie. Um, we did not have big money to offer anybody. And we got a pretty wonderful cast. And mm -hmm. people, I mean, we really, we got, we got my dream cast. Like everybody <laughs> said yes. Um, but you know, like my friend Tommy came on and did a day. I gave him the script and asked him to give it to Betsy Brandt, who was playing his sister on Life in Pieces, and he didn't. So she came on, and Jane Kasmerick and I were doing a play together, and I gave her the script. So that's how she came on. And in that case, they were all friends. Everybody was a friend. Um, and then all the Chicago actors. I had a, my friend Cliff Chamberlain is an old, you know, Steppenwolf actor who just is like he's not old. I don't know why I said it that way. He's a young Steppenwolf actor. Uh, <laughs> he, he's amazing, and he said, you know, I, I'll I'll help with this part. So he had a producer credit, and he he reached out to all of his everybody else in that cast pretty much came through Cliff. So in that case, we didn't even have a casting director. Wow. We did all the casting ourselves. Richard, who you know. Um, I've had Richard Cahan on the show. He's a pal. Yep. He did all the, you know, made all the offers. And I was, I was, I did, I did all the requests for everybody. And, um, you know, it was a down and dirty way to make a movie. We, we did everything ourselves on that film. Like we, there was no, no element of that movie that we didn't touch. Um, this one that we're going to go make, we're doing differently. We got a little more, um, money and, um, we are able to, um, you know, not do every job ourselves. And so we've got a, a really wonderful casting director who actually, right before we got on, we were talking to her and, um, and now it's this really wonderful process of like, you know, what's your dream, whether the dream is the actual actor, which I would warn people from getting too attached to like a specific idea because um, you don't know who the best person for that role is yet. Um, or just, you know, talking through all the things, all the things, this is, this is a family, what makes them feel like a family? Um, how old or young can we go before things become unbelievable? All, all, you know, all the things that um, that is that person's job and casting directors are invaluable. And they also help make you they legitimize you as an entity, you know? So I would say if you are an indie filmmaker going and trying to make a movie, one of the best things you could do is scrounge together some money, hire a casting director and say, I want to attach the lead, you know, go after one role and let them focus on that. And that is a good way to start building a package, you know, get, get somebody on that you're excited about um need to do pay or play offers at, you know in that space and you have a little financing and stuff or is it you know on good faith because it's an indie movie i always have done letters of intent okay otherwise interesting i've always done that but now they've always been friends so if you're going through an agency it might it might not be something you could get someone to do sure. um, i think there's very clever wording people can work out you know so that it's so that it's not quite so like um formal um but yeah, I think you can, here's the thing. If you can go to a financier and say, you said John Hawks, I love John. If you went to a financier and said, John Hawks is interested in this movie, that means something. Even if he hasn't signed anything, even if you, you know there's no contract, if you've gotten a read out of him and he has expressed interest, that is something. So really I think that stuff matters. You know, I think I think being able to, to say that matters. So I think it's a very good way to start. I think I think from from my experience, my limited experience so far, starting with casting is a very smart way to do it. Um, other people get excited. It starts to sound real. It's not real yet. 
you know, everyone's still lying to each other about the idea that it's real. <laughs> it's like a rainbow. It's real and it's illusional at the same time. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. But you have to be the champion of that, right? You have to be the person that's like, there's a rainbow. It's still there. I can 100% in the sky. So like as that person, the more elements you can like pull in that legitimize, you know, what you're claiming better. So I, I, and I think cast is a great place to start. I, I, um, you know, I know there's there's some casting directors out there like Ronnie Yeskel, who's, you know, she's a legend. She casts like Pulp Fiction, right? She's been around forever. Um, she loves indies and indie filmmakers. You know, you get a little bit of money and go to somebody like that and you say, I want help to start. And 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 she will. Somebody like that will help. I mean, don't quote me because maybe she wouldn't. <laughs> Somebody like that. Like she, there are people like that, you know? So I, that would, that, I think that's probably my biggest advice when it comes to casting is stay open-minded um dream big but don't be unrealistic don't waste your time being completely unrealistic i think that's in, those exercises in futility i think can make you i have one project that we've been doing nothing but making offers for two years and that just gets boring you know mm. um i think i think you know ask yourself who would be exciting at the level that you're working at you know and and um you don't need an A-lister necessarily, unless you think you're going to go out and try to get like foreign sales up front and things like that. But if you're going to go the indie route, then the question really is who's exciting to your financiers? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that question. Yeah, absolutely. Annika, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I, I love chatting with you and I'm so excited for your future projects. You'll have to keep us posted and definitely come back uh once it's released so that we can talk more about it um and get everyone excited to go see it and in the meantime go see killing eleanor it's on prime uh and you can rent it and you're, you're just gonna love it oh thank you this was so fun i i love talking to you any any time it was it was oh, it love great. talking to you too hey where can our listeners find you if they want to follow you and um and hear more so I'm the absolute worst at social media. Like I almost never go on it, but I am on um, Twitter and Instagram. But I'm telling you right now, I'm the worst. So if you message me there and I don't get back to you, I'm sorry. There is an email. It's on IMDb. We have a little production company called Let's Try One. You are always welcome to email me there. Um, and um, But I, I will post every once in a while, but I'm pretty bad at it. <laughs> No worries. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Hiya Alexander can be reached on Twitter for your questions or comments at this is Kaya. Get entertainment business career training, as well as a free special report, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you.